and welcome to another episode of Close Up with me, Kaya. And me, Amelia. This week we're joined by one of the most amazing and exciting writers out there, Natalie Morris. Hi, Natalie. Hello, guys. Thank you for that very kind introduction. Love that. (laughs) (laughs) It's just the truth. Um, Natalie is a senior writer for Metro UK and her debut book, Mixed Other, Explorations of Multiraciality in Modern Britain, is out now via Trapeze Books. Can you tell us a little bit about the book and what led you there? Absolutely. So as you said, Mixed Other is out now. It's um, explorations of multiraciality in the UK today. So it's taking a look at what it means to be mixed um, in the UK and what, you know, the implications of that, the different nuances and the many different elements that are involved in in being mixed, all different kinds of mixes as well, not just black and white, because the conversation is so much broader than that. Um, and yeah, it kind of takes my own experiences of being mixed and uses that as a starting point um, and talks to loads of other mixed people as well from all over the country, all different ages, um, because my story on its own isn't enough. There's no singular story of mixedness. So I really wanted to to kind of broaden it out and to take a look at, you know, the ways that our narratives are connected the many unifying elements of being mixed that bring us together at the same time as the you know the lots of differences and unique individual elements that that make us who we are essentially Mm. it's definitely done such a great job of that like personally for me I'd say it's the first book I've ever read that's managed to teach me new things about the way we view being mixed as a as a society but also make my confused feelings about my um, multiraciality feel a bit more seen and understood because we're quite lucky at the moment to be having complex and needed conversations about race but a lot of the time um, being mixed doesn't really come into that Um, and I mean even before you actually get into it in the book in your intro I I remember reading this bit and I was like oh my god because you say um that you personally, at this moment in time, and you do take into account the fact that language is always evolving, which is super important, because, I mean, I've made the mistake before of saying things, like, and labelling myself as these things, and then language changes, and you're a bit like, oh, God. So you do make it super clear that it might be subject to change. But at this time, I think you say that you don't call yourself mixed race, you just call yourself mixed. Um, And I just want you to talk a little bit about that, really, because I think it's really interesting. Yeah, um, I think that's a really important point to make. And I make it right at the beginning, almost like as a disclaimer for myself, like a future apology for when inevitably in 10 years time, a lot of the language that I've used in the book is outdated. And I think that is a good thing. Um, and I think it's important that language does change. And there is that room for us to be open about that and to be flexible and like welcoming to those changes. Um, so for me, this is it's quite a new thing I say in the book that I'm trying to consciously remove race from the way I describe myself and, and just use mixed. But it's definitely um, a work in progress and something I'm still developing and I have to remind myself of because I call myself mixed race for most of my life. Um, and it's something that I'm now consciously trying to unlearn and unsay and check myself when I do say that. Um, and it's not necessarily um, for some huge reason. I don't think it's this massive rebellion. I think it's a very small way of trying to undermine this kind of essentialism and to take 
almost the I, the concepts and, and the um, the implications of race out of it, um, because really we're talking about um, you know a di- different. They were talking about heritage and ethnicity, and I think race so often gets conflated with that. Um, and even when we we know what we're talking about, if you're still using that language then it perpetuates a lot of negative ideas. Um, so I'm trying to move away from, from using mixed race, but it's hard because it's so ingrained in me um, to use that because for such a long time, that was what I, what I referred to myself as and, and other people of mixed, of mixed heritage. Um, but I think, as I say, it's evolving and I'm really pleased that I'm at this new stage where, okay, this is what I'm doing. But again, like I say, like this is, for me right now, like come back to me in five years and I'll probably have, have something else that'll, that'll be using instead. Um, but I think it's just so important that we recognize, um, the power that language has, like it, it can feel like a superficial or like silly thing to be concerned about. Like it's a label. Um, but actually these, the words that we use have so much power and the connotations are so strong and important and the, the impacts like last for generations really um and what we call ourselves is really important so I, I yeah i would definitely encourage people to just think more carefully about the words they're using to describe themselves and others and, and about what those words actually mean to to yourself and in the you know the wider community as well completely agree Super, so interesting i was thinking a lot of like one of my friends she presents as white and from liverpool but her heritage mm. is uh, Egyptian and I think like although she she does present as white she still has like kind of generational trauma and other things that go along with mm-hmm. that um, from from her family you know emigrating and things like that so I think it's really interesting like to use that language you know it doesn't necessarily mean like kind of how you present but also can include the yeah. fact that there's other things going on in the background that even though you present white still impact you absolutely yeah no I think there's there was a huge um you know that was a huge part of the book in terms of looking at mixed people who who do pass as white or present as white and and looking at their experiences because so often they're just completely um ignored from the conversation of mixedness altogether and you know and it's 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 a different experience to to the experience of if you if you look visibly mixed if you look visibly other if you look visibly non-white obviously it's a different experience the world treats you differently but that shouldn't just because the of the privilege that's involved there and you know everyone i spoke to who presents as white, as white is the first to acknowledge that privilege and is the first to be like i'm not saying that i'm you know sh- have have the same experience as a non-white person but that shouldn't take away from what you're saying about that you know the generational trauma the the experiences of their families their heritage and a lot of the time they've witnessed their family members experience racism um and there's there's just a lot of complicated emotions attached to that and um i, I just think it it shouldn't be that they're not allowed to talk about their experiences just because they happen to present as white. It's it's a different experience, but a valid one nonetheless. Definitely. Um, can you remember first feeling aware of being mixed and how that made you feel different to other people? Oh, I don't know. That's a that's a really good question. I think um, I think I've always been aware. Of it, I don't remember not being aware of it. If that makes sense, there wasn't like a moment where I looked in the mirror and was like, "Oh, okay, like I'm brown." That's a thing. It was just like, "That's just what it is." Um, 
I I grew up in quite in a quite white area. I went to a lot of white schools, but um, oftentimes my really close friends, I think I naturally gravitated towards the one or two other um, black or brown or mixed people in in the areas that I was in. Um, and I didn't I didn't necessarily think about it that consciously growing up. And as a child, I think I didn't really have to. I kind of lived in this bubble um, where it wasn't a huge part of my identity. Um, and that came a bit later. I think that came in my 20s when I moved to London and started having much wider, diverse circles and started and, and joined the world of work and started to see myself and how my um, race impacted how I was treated on a professional sense. That was when I first started to be like, oh, okay, this is going to impact my life and how I'm treated by the people. Um, but when I was younger, I, I don't, I don't remember there being like a moment where I noticed it at all. Um, there were obviously there are experiences where you're made to feel other, and, and there are there are standout points from like primary school where where kids said certain things to me, and it made me think, oh right, this is something my other friends wouldn't get picked on for. This is something my other friends haven't had to deal with, um, and then seeing I guess how how like teachers and how other people responded to that it felt like a different, it, that hammered home the significance. So when I experienced racism when I was in primary school and I would, you know, I'd tell a teacher, oh, this, this kid called me this name. And the way they responded signaled to me that that was a different thing to any other kind of like childhood interactions or, or bullying or anything like that. And it, and that was, I think, um, was what first made me think, okay, this is something that's going to you know, be an issue, be a part of my life. Um, but yeah, I think it was quite a privilege to not have to think about it for such a long mm. time. Um, and I also think it made me do quite a lot of work later on in my twenties to have to retrospectively go back and be like, Oh, okay. When those things happened, maybe that was to do with the fact that I'm mixed or I'm not white. Um, which I, I don't think I necessarily thought at the time when I was like a teenager and things like that. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. I know exactly what you mean because I grew up in um, a town called Seven Oaks, which, if you don't know, is like probably the whitest place you'll ever go. Um, <laughs> and I remember I didn't like... I, I knew I was brown. Like I live with my mum's my side of the family who were all white. And um, I, knew, I knew I was brown, but I didn't know that there was that that made me different or there was anything wrong with it until kind of getting to I have a really clear memory of being about I'd say about four and just noticing that loads of other kids my age would like give me dirty looks or like scowl at me and I think like I didn't know at the time I didn't really think you know conclusively oh that's because of my skin color but mm. I knew it was because I was different and mm. um and then I think like that kind of feeling just compounds until you get a bit older and then you're like, well, it could have been a coincidence, but actually like it's, it's really, really, really strange that children would kind of go out of their way to, I don't know, project something negative onto you, um, which is, I suppose, isn't their fault, but it is what it is. And then I remember one time a girl in the play pit said, <laughs> Um, no, no, uh, black kids allowed in here. And my mum oh went, my oh my God. Yeah. My mum went mental. Um, and that, I think that's when I was like, 
oh okay it's kind of all kind of making sense now um mm. yeah so i think like people um don't really i think people just assume that when you're young you know it's innocent and and it doesn't it doesn't matter or anything like that and i think that's true but also it still impacts children like massively um mm. to feel mm. that feel those nuances i've been doing a lot of thinking about this actually um because I'm trying to remember whether or not being mixed was something that was spoke about in my house. Because I don't, mm. I'm not, not sure it was. I think it, my mum, so my, my dad um, is white. That, the, yeah, my dad's white. And my mum is black. And But I didn't think of it like that. I just thought of, you know, them as my parents. And my mum was never... Yeah. From what I understand, I know I know now that I'm older and we've had conversations. I know it was diff. I know it was different to the way that I have thought it was for years. But I never thought of my mum as being necessarily different or treated differently to everyone else. I just thought that she was just mm. this beautiful, amazing thing. And then um, <laughs> I got to school, <laughs> got to primary school, and it's so obvious that what kids say to you they're just regurgitating from what they hear at home because at the time mm. it was I mean not to think of racism as a trend but at the time the thing to call people out on was to call them you know a derogatory word associated with being from Pakistan and because I look different mm. to everyone else that's what I got called and then I took mm. that on even though I'm not from Pakistan and then I had to go home and be like the they're all calling me this like what does it mean and mum was like don't let it affect you like you know you are who you are and, mm. and I just um from that moment I think people would just call you whatever they could think of as long as they knew mm. it was different yeah. um yeah yeah it's crazy like I'm obviously a lot older now and people like still message me on Facebook like apologizing for things that they said <laughs> Really? really? Yeah. And wow. I'm like, you know, thanks. <laughs> but um, yeah, you, you're right about that. <laughs> thanks. Bit late, but yeah, thanks. a bit late. <laughs> but um, no, um, obviously, because I've read the book, I know that your mum uh, is white and your dad was black. Yeah. Um, so I guess if it's that, maybe clear to see the the difference. Maybe you don't have to think about it too much. What you mm. said about your friend Amy, Amelia. Imagine it's a really confusing state. Being mixed is. Well, for me personally, it's confusing. It's a confusing state to be in, mm. especially at the moment. All the yeah. conversations about um, blackness and stuff can sometimes feel like mixed people are intentionally like left out of the conversation. Like all the Meghan Markle stuff, it's just it's an extremely stressful time to be online. <laughs> extremely <laughs> stressful. It really was. It really, really was. Extremely yeah, very stressful, stressful. indeed. Um, there's a part of the book that really stood out to me and, well, stuck stuck with me. Um, and I think it's interesting that I can't stop thinking about it because in the scheme of your book, it is only quite a small moment. But you describe mm. being at a party with your family and um, mm. there's, a, there's another guest there who's an older woman uh, and she sort of asks you, like, what, why you're, like... What, who you know at the party and why you're there and stuff and it was your granddad's party wasn't it it was a white man and it, you explain yeah, yeah. like so clearly the, the, the shock that I've seen on people's faces myself and the sort of bewilderment <laughs> of being like wait but what do you mean like because how yeah. does and uh, <laughs> we've obviously all like all three of us have felt this but I wonder um do you think that's do you think that's a rare attitude that you've experienced or do you think it's a lot more common than people might think? Because personally, I think when you're trying to explain 
those people to white people that haven't been through it, they're sort of like, oh, really? Does that happen? Like, and you have mm. to kind of like, yeah. I think, I think it's, uh, yeah, I think it's very common. I think it's much more common than people would maybe assume, um, particularly in like less diverse areas. Like if you're not in London, if you're more like in, in smaller towns, um, it's definitely the case. And, and yeah, like you said at this party, um, this woman was just so confused. Like she literally thought I was like taking the piss. She was, she laughed in my face. She was like, and she still didn't get it. Like, even after I explained to her, I was like, no, that's, that's my granddad. This, me and my sister, like, we're like quite directly <laughs> involved here. Like, <laughs> and I don't know. She just looked at us like, what on earth are you talking about? Like I was, like I was crazy. Um, and you know, that's like, that's my granddad. That's like my close relative. And like, that's my aunties and my uncles and, Obviously, yeah, me and my sister were the only non-white faces in in that room. We were in a we were in a village hall in 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 a tiny village in in the middle of Stafford, like so you know, very small place. Um, and you know, they don't come across much diversity, particularly in families. But I think there is still a lot of confusion around that, even though it is so much more common than it used to be. Um, but people just love an explanation. People love things to be clear um, and they love to categorise people very simply. And the moment they can't do that, they start to just get really dis- uncomfortable. Like there's a discomfort behind it. It's not just that they're like, they want an explanation because you can tell there's like, sometimes people are just curious and they're just like, oh, right. So that's interesting. Tell me about that. But often you can feel that beneath that, there's more than curiosity there are, it's more there's a slight hostility to it and they don't they, they don't like it they're like what do you mean like why are you in, in this family um why are you in this space why don't you fit what my idea of you should mm-hmm. be um and it's a similar thing to when people ask the question like you know where are you really from like what what are you what they're really asking is like wh- why are you brown why don't you look like I want you to look um and it's this thing of people not being able to place you instantly and I think that really comes from this from these like binary racial categories that we have that like divide our our society and how we like to put ourselves in boxes. And if you don't fit in one of those that people can immediately put you in, um, they, they don't like it. It's, it's, it's um, destabilizing their sense of, of how things should be and the order of things. Um, So if you, if you're kind of in between two spaces, there's a suspicion and, and you see that across all kinds of spectrums. So like, like with gender and sexuality, it's the same thing. If you're not able to be placed in, in a singular box that neatly sums you up and neatly ties off all the, you know, the, the different things so people can understand you in an instant, there's a suspicion and a hostility and people want to undermine that and question you and tell you where you do and where you don't belong. And I, and, and I think that's even starker when you're in those spaces with family and you take a family photo and there's some, you're the random brown face in the corner, like <laughs> chilling. And everyone's like, who is this? Like, what, what, what's happening here? Um, and I think that, you know, it's really inescapable when you're in those environments just to see that discomfort. And it's interesting to me that people are still shocked. You'd think they wouldn't be, but I, yeah, it's surprising how frequently they are. Yeah. Mm. It's so I I find it quite I don't know about you but I find it quite funny sometimes because it's kind of like the people obviously have like a certain expectation of their family members to be like they're white they're gonna 
have children with a white person. And then it's like, oh, wait, Brian's daughter, she married a a black person? Like, what? Like, Mm -hmm. and that then opens, like, so many things to them. I, I feel like where it's like... I just don't know them at all. Like, do, do, do they like Caribbean food? Like, do you know what I mean? And it's just like, <laughs> just like, yeah, completely. Like, like, let's let's get over this, Karen. <laughs> Honestly, yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. That's so true. And there's all these. It, but you're right. It just it opens up this whole can of worms, and uh, and I think people are then having to confront all of this stuff yeah. that they didn't necessarily know was in there, and they're suddenly like, oh, am I okay with this? And they have to kind of ask themselves like in real time, like in front of you, if they're like, okay with it, and you're just watching this all play out on their face and you're like, oh, this is a lot of emotions. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> in one go. And do you know what else is slightly like separate to the point, but I just know that then I become the, I'm not racist because um, Thingy's niece is, is black. So blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, oh, so irritating. Yeah. You don't, yeah, you don't want to be that person for people. No, no, you? but... <laughs> <laughs> That's one of the things that I really feel like is missing, well, has been missing for a long time regarding being mixed, is just how much sort of explaining you have to do about yourself, which is really mm. exhausting, especially when you're still trying to figure out who you are and how you fit into the world, because mixed people move through the mm. world in a very unique way. Um, and not only do you have to sort of be proud of who you are you also have to explain exactly who you are and then you have to sort of like expect that some people are going to be confused or pissed off about it and there's all these things Mm -hmm. on you at once (laughs) and it's really Mm -hmm. it's just it's a lot so that's why when this book when we got the book and I read it and I was just like yes I knew it was a perfect time for me to read something like this because I feel like it's always been missing I've always needed it but is there a particular reason why you've written this now? Is it something that you've wanted to write for years or did it just... Hmm, um, I mean, I, I think a lot of people have been saying like, oh, this is the perfect time for this. And it, it's funny because I, I started the process um, before Black Lives Matter summer, before, before everyone was suddenly talking about race, before it became like this trendy thing that everyone's talking about. So for me, it's just kind of like, it's just coincided with everybody starting to talk about this a lot more, which has obviously been kind of fortuitous in a way. It's a good thing. And, you know, I always think it's it's great when people are talking about these issues more, but I think this is something I've always been interested in. Um, I think the timing is kind of just it just ended up being now because of what I'm doing at the moment, because I've, I'm finally being a writer as my full-time job, which is something I've wanted to do forever. Um, and I finally got to do that. So that's been great. Um, and it, and it just, it, it worked well because when I, when I first started with, um, metro.co.uk I started a series which was like a weekly column talking to people of mixed heritage. And for that, I spoke to like 50 to 60 people over the course of a year um, and each week was like looking at their experiences of being mixed. And it was through doing that that led me to think this needs to be a bigger piece of work that people can just pick up and engage with in one go. Because the response that I had to that column, the number of people who were emailing me saying, oh, my God, I didn't realize other people felt like this. I didn't realize that what I was feeling was, you know, a, a universal thing that that and it made me just think there is a 
there is a kind of collective experience that comes with being mixed regardless of your heritage just in the in the you know that the element of being mixed itself there are so many similarities and just recurring themes that came up again and again and again and I was like oh like this is something that so many people feel and so many people go through um that I just wanted to bring that together and, and show that there is a collective because I think one thing that um that came up through my research and, and through so much reading I've done around this is that being mixed can feel quite isolating at times. You can be the only person in your family who looks like you do, the only person who experiences life through this specific lens of, of in-betweenness, that even if you have minority members, uh, you know, ethnic minority members of your family, they don't experience it in the same way that you do. Um, and I think that is something that's that's so important and significant in terms of belonging and identity and figuring out who you are and where you fit as well as, as well as so many other wider implications as well. Um, So I just really wanted to look at how all of our experiences tie in together and and give us that sense of belonging. Like, because what I want whenever I write anything really is to get that kind of like nod of recognition from someone to someone to read it and be like, Oh yes. Like I didn't know. I I didn't even know I was feeling this until I read it. And that's, and that's the kind of feeling that I want to get from this book. And this is the book I wanted to read when I was like 23 and first moved to London and was a bit like, Oh, who am I? Like, Oh my God, what race is a thing? I'm, I'm, I'm black. I'm mixed. And I was thinking of all these things and this book would have really helped me. So that's what I want to do um, for other mixed people essentially. So yeah. Kaya and I always weave in a bit of personal experience of being mixed where possible um, and the attitudes of confusion towards mixed people very much alive and kicking. Yes. Um, mm. We'd be remiss if we didn't mention the treatment of Meghan Markle by the press. Um, you wrote an amazing piece of the Metro where you're a senior writer called The, Me- the Meghan Markle Discourse is Emotionally Exhausting for Black and Mixed Race Women. Were you surprised by her treatment in the press? no 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 absolutely not no it's not a surprise this is this is this is what happens to um to uh black women to non-white women to mix mixed women um definitely not a surprise this is I think it's inevitable um that this was going to happen and so when the when the wedding was announced and there was this initial narrative that Megan was going to be this kind of, you know, progressive emblem of change and that she was she was the proof that we're such a, you know, racially progressive, liberal, forward thinking co- um, country. And, you know, the, the royal family the same. But I didn't think that at the time. And I wrote about it for Galdem and was like, this isn't the, the you know, the glowing moment of change that people think it is. And on the wedding day, I was actually in Windsor to to talk to Five Live about it, and um, you know they were so they were so desperate for it to be seen as this progressive step forward, and they wanted to make her this symbol of representation of diversity. And um, but I, I knew that that wouldn't be the case, that because we've seen again and again how these institutions work, whether it's whether it's the media, whether it's the monarchy, how. Um, powerful institutions in this country are built on on white supremacy 
Um, so there's only so far we can ever get with representation politics, um, particularly when it comes to a woman with black heritage. And I think you've always got to keep in mind that the only reason Megan was allowed in those spaces anyway is because she's mixed with white, not monoracially black. And I think you can't remove her mixedness and her proximity to whiteness from this conversation because that's the only reason she was allowed in there. That's the only reason she was, um, you know, given that that elevation in the first place. Like, I, I can't, can you imagine if if it had been a black woman, like with dark skin and natural hair, like that, it wouldn't happen. It wouldn't happen. Um, and so I think when you're looking at progress and representation, you've got to keep that in mind as well. And like, how far can it ever really go if the only reason she's allowed in these spaces is because of her, her palatability, because she's, she's, um, you know, ethnic, but not too ethnic. She's what people can, you know, people, she's digestible. People can still accept her. Um, and even that wasn't enough, even still, she was then very, very quickly torn down and very much put back in her box. The moment it was seen that she wasn't going to be sticking to the narrative that they hoped she would. And she, the moment they realized she had a voice. So, um, uh, yeah, sorry, I'm very much rambling, but to answer your question, no, it isn't surprising. <laughs> no, no, not at all. I think, it's such, I think it's such an important conversation to have. And I think it's especially important for mixed women to be leading this conversation because everyone's got an opinion. Mm. But it's like you say, it's a very uh, individual experience. But yet there is still a sort of collectivism there, which is why your article was so good, because you brought together black women and um, mixed women to talk about how it's made them feel and why it's emotionally exhausting. Um, so just mm. on the back of that, um, you being you as an individual, who you are, a mixed woman, how you see yourself, mm-hmm. if you could tell people one thing about how it feels to be you, to be mixed, one thing that you wish people could understand or know a little bit better, what would it be? I think, I guess for me, it's about the that kind of navigating privilege alongside the experiences of being a black woman and a non-white person in this country. And I think it's about holding those two things at the same time within you. And I think what I wish people understood was that it's possible to do both, that it's possible to acknowledge your privilege, to acknowledge where things are easier when you have white family members when you have white heritage when you have lighter skin and you look closer to those eurocentric beauty ideals and you're more palatable in a way the doors that are opened for you the way that you're treated in a much more favorable way than than darker skinned or monoracial minorities at the same time as experiencing um microaggressions and you know over and covert racism and still being treated as other and having to like reconcile those two things in every space that you're in. So even sometimes within the domestic sphere, within your own family, as well as in education, in the workplace, um, in every every area of your life. And I think that's, you can't underestimate how hard it is and how complicated it can be to to find your place within those two areas, because also... you have such little control over it. So uh, as much as it's important to acknowledge and recognise where you have privilege and where, you know, 
it, and, and this is again related to, to people who are mixed with whiteness because there's a whole other conversation of people who are mixed without whiteness, which I think is so frequently ignored. But if you're mixed with white, um, you have to you have to be able to understand and recognize that privilege um, without it taking away from the other stuff that you experience. Because yeah, as I was saying, you don't have control over that. Who like the privilege that you have you don't wield that power that depends on other people and how other people see you in any given context. So depending on what space I walk into, sometimes I'm treated as very other and, and treated without, with, with zero privilege essentially. And then in other spaces, um, the, the, you know, my proximity to whiteness plays a big part and gives me a big advantage. So it's, and that can be really helpful in certain situations, but when you don't have the power to decide when, when you have privilege and when you don't, how much of a privilege can that really be? Um, so, yeah, that's quite a complicated point that I've just <laughs> kind of tried to explain. But I hope I hope that makes sense. It's yeah, I think that's probably the one of the most complicated things to understand about being mixed is about holding those two things at the same time and being okay mm. with that <laughs> and sitting in it comfortably, essentially, which is mm. hard. That's it's, so interesting. I never yeah. thought about it in that way before, where it's like because mm. I know that I have privilege but I've never really understood before that like, obviously I do have privilege but it's at the kind of other person's discretion yeah <laughs> it's so interesting exactly yeah. yeah yeah that's why I'm so excited for people to read the book because there's so many things and you're just like I've felt this all my life and never really put thought into it because no one has these conversations so I just can't wait I'm so excited for people to read it um <laughs> It's just honestly just like managed to sum things up so so beautifully. I I love it. Okay, so now are we ready to spin the wheel for the random questions? Okay, we're ready. We're all ready. Number forty-five. What do you wish for the world in, in ten years' time? Okay, I, what I wish is that the allies can t- keep their energy because. I've seen how quickly they've got tired after this summer. And I wish that we get to a point where these conversations about race and about racism and social justice and all of that good stuff is not happening cyclically. It's not happening every few years and then it dies down and then it builds back up again. I want to see just a positive and consistent trajectory of that continuing to happen um, rather than people having a big buzz on social media and posting some black squares mm. and thinking, okay, that's, that's my anti-racism <laughs> done for, for the deck for the decade and not going to do anything else now until, until everything else, can, until another person dies or something awful happens. And then we do it again. I want it to, I want that energy to maintain. That's a really good answer. Not too much to ask. That's it. That's what I want. That's not much. I don't think. <laughs> it be. Um, okay. I just want politicians like, Pretty Patel, for example, to no longer seem like something that we can ever allow or accept. People like her, and obviously just, well, I was going to say most, but no, all of the Tory party in general, aren't doing anything other than causing absolute havoc on people's freedoms, livelihoods, destroying everything that I think I actually... Because there's not a lot that I like about this country, but there are certain things, but these people (laughs) are just taking them apart. And I think, surely, 
the like right wing people's like love for the, it can't last surely there's a breaking point mm. and it feels like we've been approaching the breaking point for a while but it never actually seems to to split but yeah i just i just want in 10 years time for politics to actually represent people like me and for me to not feel completely disillusioned with the state of the the way things are and to feel like there's actually a bit of hope because it's so difficult at the moment to feel like there's any hope like with politics and it's just like again exhausting so hopefully yeah hopefully this so whole true. like controversial era that we're going through right now where it's like you know brexit is seemingly a good idea for some people whatever uh hopefully we just move <laughs> past that completely and there's more of a you know a lot more acceptance and room so just be yourself without feeling like you have to have your identity questioned at every possible turn i think would be my answer (laughs) (laughs) it's a good answer good answer more hope please that would be nice that would be nice yeah i was just thinking at first i was like let's bring down capitalism (laughs) but in lieu of that (laughs) being too much to ask i was thinking I thought of a lot of, like, I think generational wealth and, well, I think generational wealth is such a bad thing. And um, I I say that as someone who has had generational wealth. Um, I think, I just think it's like, imagine if we didn't have it and, like, people from, you know, whose family got rich off the back of slaves in however many years ago weren't still profiting from that. Mm. Right now, can you imagine if everyone, when they were born, started from zero? Mm. The world would just be, like, so much better. There'd be so many other things we need to do, but if that could be one thing, that would be super helpful. It would. That basically sounds like getting rid of capitalism. (laughs) (laughs) It does. Imagine if we we all get what we want. Wow. What a world that would be. Imagine. I think we will. I believe. I believe. It's going to happen. Oh, God. Right, okay. I mean, that's got me feeling quite optimistic for possible future. I'm just going to spin the wheel. Um, Okay. Number 52 is... What's the last thing you did that was just for yourself? <gasps> this is so lame. Okay, last night I was, I decided to play uh, Sims 4 for yes. like three hours yes. uh, before bed because I love The Sims. I've always loved The Sims. And I, like when I was a kid, I was like obsessed. Like, I'd spend <laughs> days like building the perfect house. Like I just love it. I was like, I get to play God. This is my perfect game. I love it. And then um, in lockdown, everyone got it again at the beginning and I downloaded it, but because I was so busy, like, writing this bloody book and then just working <laughs> all the time, I just never got to, I never got to get into it. But now that the book is finished and I'm, I'm trying to take some time to actually relax in my downtime. So last night after work, instead of, like, inventing a million chores for myself and all these things that I have to do, I was like, do you know what? I'm going to I'm going to play the Sims and I just accidentally was on there for like 3 hours and was like oh I should go to bed. <laughs> so that was very much something for me, a guilt-free evening of playing games and doing nothing. Oh, that sounds lovely. <laughs> You've been playing Sims haven't you, Mel? Well, I did I played it once and then 
I had too much work to do oh, and then yeah. I stopped. It was just See, so annoying. This is what happens. No, get back into it. Give yourself the I time. I need to. It's I think so I'm quite fun. scared though because I think that once I start, maybe I just won't ever stop. So I'm no, that's a def- that. that's a that's a definite risk. Like I was on there way way too long last night, and I'm already like, oh, maybe maybe tonight again. Are there still cheats? I remember Motherload back in the day. Remember that. that still works Does it yeah still yeah work? that works Ro- rose rosebud you can get simoleons oh yeah i'm such a nerd god I, but yeah there was there are still cheats so i'm just cheating my way to being a millionaire it's great That's so <laughs> i bought um the new animal crossing on nintendo switch oh. like first lockdown and i didn't speak to anyone and my, <laughs> my my partner was just like when was the last time we had a conversation can you remember because i can't <laughs> And then I just like sold it on Depop and I miss it so much, my little my little town. Oh, oh my god. Honestly, the way I'm Googling Nintendo Switches like every day, like have they gone down in price? No, oh I still can't afford it. Or oh, I want to. I want to treat myself. Every so often there'll be someone on Depop who doesn't know the value of what they've got and they'll just sell everything for like hundred quid and I'm like, yes, I love it. Oh, <laughs> that's genius. I need to look. Oh, the last thing other than other than games that I did for myself was Oh, actually, this is easy. Hit Amelia, this is easy. Yesterday, when it was lunchtime, I thought, should I go and eat the boring oats that are in my cupboard in the house? And I was like, no, I'm going to order myself some food. So I got, Ugh. oh, I got buzz rocks. I got jerk chicken, rice and peas, Caribbean <gasps> gravy. Oh, my lips so dumplings. good. Dumplings. Oh, my God, amazing. And I was sat there wow. and ate it and I was just in ecstasy. It was amazing. <laughs> so good. There's something so luxurious about like ordering oh, food for like lunch time. I, I feel like I never do. I'm like, this is so bougie. I love it. Like, because <laughs> I, I, I like normally it's like an evening or like a Friday night. But you're like, if you just like a Tuesday lunchtime, like I love I that. Like, why, like, not? Yeah, why not? Why not? <laughs> and then I walked. I walked to the Metrolink instead of getting an Uber to like I usually do. And that was my little. That was my Did little. You? That was my swap for the day. I thought. I'm going to spend £15 at lunch, hon. You can walk. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> it was amazing. I can't remember the last thing I did. Do you know what? It's probably not what I did, what I didn't do, which is I've not... So I bought I bought a, a little folding bike in an attempt to, like, start exercising. And oh, cool. I haven't done it for a week. And... I'm fine with that. I'm absolutely like I needed to not do you that. You did. I agree with that. So definitely, yeah, yeah. That's so good. Well, when you bought that, I said I was going to use it, and um, I've not used it once. So you're still doing better than me. <laughs> <laughs> still doing better than me. Oh. You're gonna do it. Don't worry. <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> She's been the wheel. Yes. Number fifty-seven. Oh. What personality trait do you wish you could automatically adopt? Ooh. Ooh. Oh. That's oh. so interesting. Personality trait. Hmm. I know okay. mine straight Do you? Up. What is it? Do you? You go first. You go first. Uh, it's the ability to be disciplined. <laughs> <laughs> you are. You always say stuff like this about yourself. You are disciplined. I wish I could... When I say I'm going to do something, just do it. I just wish I could do that. Because some people can. Like, my boyfriend can just... As if he's like, right, I need to write... I need to, like... Because he's a furniture designer. Oh, I need to design, like, a chair or something. He just just bloody does it. (laughs) That's such a cool job. I love that. 
Um, no, that's that's definitely a good one. I think mine is actually going to be basically the opposite <laughs> of that. I think I think the personality trait I need is the ability to relax, like without guilt. Like I can't, like I'm rubbish at chilling. Like I can't do it. And like, I love the idea of it. And then I go to do it and I'm immediately tense. I'm like, oh, like I should be achieving. I should be ticking things off. And it's just so unhelpful. It doesn't mean I get more done. It doesn't mean I achieve more things. It just means I'm stressed like more than I need to be. Like I've got friends who I'll talk to them. I'm like, what'd you do today? And they're just like happy to be like, nothing like I sat on my bed and I watched Netflix or like (laughs) that was it that was it and I'm like oh my god like if I did that I'd be so stressed that I didn't you know I get up on a Sunday and I'm like right I'm gonna clean this I'm gonna do this I'm gonna get all these chores done and then I'm knackered on a Monday morning and I'm like well that's my own fault I can't even complain it like this is on me so I want to have the ability to sit on my sofa for a whole day if I want to with no guilt and not stress myself out about it uh right okay just to just to add on to that, you deserve a break. You've just written a book. <laughs> Give yourself a week. Okay, yeah. Give yourself a week. Let's, I mean, I know, but I'm worried I'm going to, like, use that for too long and it'll be three years later and I'll still be chilling. Like, I deserve this. I deserve it's this. honestly, like, I, I've not, well, for comparison, I've not written a book and I give myself time all the time for no reason. I'm like, all right, you got dressed today. Go and sit on the sofa for three hours. <laughs> You deserve that's it. That's good, though. That's good. This is what I, need. I need a bit of that. I need a bit of that, for sure. <laughs> I guess I wish I was a bit more confident in work because I mm. constantly feel like I'm not doing enough. Not in terms of, like, output, like, in terms of how much I'm doing, but, I mean, what, what I've achieved so far. I always yeah. feel like there's more. I always feel like I'm not doing quite as well as I could be. And it's because of Twitter it's because I'm comparing myself yeah, yeah. to everyone on Twitter. That's so, yeah, either more confidence or just less of a phone addiction. Because if I wasn't on social media as much as I am, I genuinely think I would be calmer and just mm. a bit easier on myself. Mm. I'm just, yeah. you're quite good with Twitter, aren't you, Amelia? Sort of just like dipping and out. Yeah. I can't do that. Well, actually, maybe we need to like strike a balance between us because I wish I did it more, as in posted more. But um, it's a vicious cycle, though. When you start, and then you start like looking at your likes and who's interacting <laughs> with you, and but but I think yeah, like what you said, Kaya, about like that comparison thing. That is the hardest thing about social media, and I to- I I think I'm exactly the same as you in terms of feeling like you've never quite done enough, and you know, people talk about like having imposter syndrome and feeling like oh my god, I'm I don't know how everyone thinks I'm, you know, how did I get to this amazing place. And I'm like the opposite. I've got whatever the opposite of imposter syndrome is. So that whatever I'm doing, I'm like, I should have achieved more by now. I should have been at this place. I should be at this place. Um, so, yeah, I can completely yeah. relate. Hard relate. Let's um, let's set ourselves Twitter timers and not... I think it's all been well, compounded as well. Sorry. Um, I think it's all been compounded as well with, like, the fact that we've been in lockdown for a year and everyone's lost a year of their life. <laughs> so it's like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But we're in that together, oh so it's cool. <laughs> I am going to be in that pub garden next week, the minute it opens. I'm like, I'm mentally, I'm already there. Oh I'm already queuing up. I'm already yeah. there. Same. Oh. Even when, even then, it's definitely going to like snow again on the twelfth, isn't it? I was literally <laughs> yeah. like yesterday, like, what the hell is happening? I've just bought all these like cute dresses, yeah. and I was like, oh, put my puffer coat back on. Like, what is happening? I was seeing some mate yesterday, and she was like, yeah, we should go, but like, oh, what am I going to do if it's cold? Like, might I not want to go if it's cold? I was like, put your coat on. 
because we're going. <laughs> we're going there. Yeah. It's open. Yeah. We're heading there. Oh, God. Um, yeah, that's what I would choose, I think. Now I'm just thinking about Pub Garden. Sorry. My <laughs> I just miss them so much. <laughs> Me too. So Me too. Soon. So um, usually this is where you'd be, you plug your book, but I mean, by the time it comes out, it's already going to be out. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. Go buy it. It's out <laughs> in the world. Um, mixed other. Um, you can find it in all of the bookshops, uh, or you can find me on Twitter when I shouldn't be on Twitter at Nmoz, um, and you can find the links on there as well. But yeah, please go buy the book if you're if you're mixed, if you're not mixed, if you're if you have mixed family or friends or colleagues, and you're interested in adding a bit more nuance to this conversation, please give it a read. It's not overly academic. I think it's quite readable. Um, you know, I, that's so I think it's, yeah, please go back. <laughs> that was a terrible plug, but yeah, you know what I mean. Thank you so much for being a guest. It's been such an amazing conversation. It's so lovely speaking to you. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Thank you. And as always, everyone, if you can, please do like, share and subscribe. And we'll be back soon with another episode. Thank Bye. you. Bye.